If Murray had supported the show, I'd be less sick of podcasts. <laughs> <laughs> America's first. Blubbity Blah. The Blubbity Blah. Sending out good vibes. It implies that there was some golden age when everyone got along great and then things went badly. But the problem of that myth of the golden age is that it's uh, uh, it's indigenous peoples handing over the land to the settlers. So part of that golden age is, is about land. Welcome back to the Great America Show. We are going to be chatting with Professor Dr. McDonald a little bit later about uh, his book. David, David. David McDonald. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> about his book, Sleeping Giant Awakens. Uh, Graham is barely hanging on. Graham, I was almost a COVID hospitalization Dunlop. No, no is, way. Is back. No way, dude. I, back I did talk the to the saddle. doctor. I did talk to the doctor. I did. I did. I made that doctor call. I just, just in case, you know. Do you think that counts as a hospitalization? I, I mean, yeah. Me being at home with COVID counts as a hospitalization. Probably. At the very least, you're a statistic. I'm oh yeah, hundred percent, hundred percent. Foreign born COVID brought into Canada, unvaccinated, unvaccinated, infected, to, infected a multitude of people. Um, falls completely off the radar for a while. Families freaking out. Uh, is, is that about it? That's about everything. My I'm, phone. Remember my phone broke at the your right phone the same was time broken. Was, oh, everything were, was going crazy. Yeah, you were questioning whether yeah. or not you were going to go to the hospital at one moment. You're, you're at least lining up which hospital to go to, uh, should the situation oh, yeah, arise. I, I almost did. I almost did go. Yeah. You text me and you're like, so, yeah. so if I was going to go to the hospital, where would I go? And I was <laughs> like, well, I, I don't know. How are you? And then you just fucking silent. Nothing. <laughs> I wake up to texts and emails from your family saying you just like dropped off in the middle of the night. So tell us about it. I mean, everyone, some people on Outlawed heard, uh, but for the most part, the audience, you weren't on the last intro, I don't think, were you? No, I don't think I was. No, you guys handled it yourself, which I really appreciate you and Kyle just taking the reins and doing, uh, just covering for me. I really appreciate it. I mean, honestly, big thanks to everybody giving me, uh, you know, good vibes and shout out and all that. It's just, I really appreciate all the love and support I've had. I mean, it's been pretty good. It's been pretty good. It's, it's, uh, it's I'm on the I'm on completely on the men now. It's just a little bit, still a little weird, a little tired, a little, a uh, little bit uh, shaky in a way. Oh, uh, you got another week at least. No, but but dude, it, it it was getting pretty hairy for a while there. It was like I was in this weird astral. Uh, honestly, dude, it was like sleep trying to go to sleep. And I remember your advice was like, don't nap, because uh, because then I I ended up 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 all night uh or trying to find a place to sleep all night because like remember at the first i had all these body pains and shit and i couldn't even like find rest right at all and i'd and i'd go through these 
these I got like, like 10,000 milligrams of edibles in my uh, safe. There, there you go. So <laughs> I did not have that problem, which was probably, you know, a bigger difference maker than, than we think. Oh, yeah. Then I was going into these like weird astral, honestly, these weird astral sort of battles with stuff. And I was coughing and, and having these weird like... Uh, sort of hallucinations and and meeting these different people fighting these battles uh, honestly dude it was insane it was a psychedelic for a experience while. it was a psychedelic like. experience 100 percent. i felt like i felt like just from lack my... of sleep or from like lack of water or like what do you think is all playing a role on your on your spiritual it was a spiritual battle quest. dude it was a fucking spiritual battle it was a biohack it was a fucking spiritual battle against the biohacking like rummaging rummaging Is this around something in my other fucking people brain say? with sound waves like it was just like Kyle did mention that he said it felt very synthetic it was very synthetic it's fucking weird dude i'm telling you and we had like at at some point these big ships that we had to like sort of make and, and disappear. Like it, it was a process of, of eliminating all these different weird uh, battles. That was at the peak of, that was at the peak of it. And then it became very simplified afterward. I figured out how to just simplify the sleep, to simplify the battle, to simplify everything. And that, and then it became not, now I'm starting to completely come back from it and heal from it. I know it's a very rambly way to do it, the, to talk about it, but it's it's been super crazy. You still sound like shit. I feel like I sound normal. Because I don't, because I don't, I mean, I don't think I talk, all, I'm stuck here all day by myself, right? Well, you've been stuck there all day by yourself for months. I mean, that's not new. <laughs> <laughs> I guess you have been narrating a lot. Yeah, I was, but, so it's still, I mean, I guess it's still there, you know, but... How do I pay you this month if you're just not doing anything? It's and just weird. It's just so weird, dude. Ever. I'm telling you, it's the weirdest <laughs> fucking experience ever. And, you know, luckily, I, I feel like I'm two I'm weeks totally down, back. eh? Two weeks down. Yeah. Down. Fucking down. <laughs> Maybe not fully honestly, down dude, for two weeks, but dude, for like 10 days, you were down, dude, man. Out. Dude, I was, I was to the point where, I mean, we were still doing shows and stuff. I've still hung in there to. Like you guys bailed bailed you, me out of a big show. That you was just fantastic. fucking dropped you right out. You just like I, I couldn't handle it anymore. I just I got the text. Anymore. I was like, "You're like, like, I'm gonna pass out. I gotta go." Bloop. <laughs> 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 but I really appreciate that. But I had some stuff going on too, so I had to leave for a couple of phone calls because oh, oh, that's yeah, when, I like, was wondering. What was that, that was right when the government found out that I had tested positive, so they oh were calling God. me over and over. Um. And Kyle's just like, I thought you were both going to go. <laughs> <laughs> but anyways, honestly, dude, it's, it's the hardest thing. I can't even, I couldn't even uh, type for a while. Like I can't even focus and type, make notes or even text properly or just do anything, anything sort of like managerial or administratively. Like I could not even focus on a fucking thing. Like it's just, it's the weirdest just lethargy, tired, like just, ugh. I couldn't even, I didn't even want to, I couldn't even watch, watch anything on TV. I did nothing. Like I couldn't even read books for the show. I couldn't even watch TV for, for things. I, I couldn't even do anything. It was just nothing. It was just try and sleep. But then like you said, if you sleep all day long, then the nighttime is the weirdest fucking thing. I can't, because then I'm up in the middle of the night on all these different 
rooms of the house trying to figure out how I'm going to sleep. And I had a couple projects on the go, kept me busy. I don't think I lost my voice at all unless I just didn't notice. I mean, it was a little scratchy at one point. My but... experience was much different because you were sick already Monday. You were kind of sick in the back of the truck. Yeah, yeah. Not and terrible. Then, and, then I, and then I was okay for a while. And then, and then yeah, I mean, you were gave... better than me in the beginning because I missed the Tuesday or the, I missed the Wednesday show. Yeah. We were both fine for the Tuesday night show, I think. And then the Wednesday night show, I didn't show up for. I bailed out. Tuesday night was the night I started getting sick. Yeah, but that was it. Just one night for you. Middle of the night, Tuesday, I woke up three in the morning, super hot, super sweaty, fever and hard. I was like, oh, fuck. Okay, here we go. Yeah, and but I think that's what it did. Your natural body, besides all the CH, THC and all that, your natural body handled it all did it properly with a fever and it, and it got rid of it right away. That's kind of why I stopped taking some stuff after you had done that. I'm like, Oh man, all this stuff I've been taking. Um, maybe and, I should just back off. Idiot of it. Just fucking. So I was like Tuesday, Wednesday. So that was Tuesday night, three in the morning. Then I woke up Tuesday. I was in pretty rough shape. I still got myself outside for a couple hours, maybe an hour and a half of pressure washing pain off the deck at least. And then Wednesday night, I was just like falling asleep again. So Kyle sat in to do the fluoride show. And then I was like out from that because like I didn't know how long the show was or anything. I, I think I got up around 11.30 p.m. And Kyle's like, I just left everything on. So I came down, shut everything off. And then by the next morning, I was mostly bounced back. Not 100% though. It lingered. It definitely lingered like a quiet sort of weird lag um yeah because it was still even from then it was probably another like two or three days before i was i was feeling like i was editing audiobooks again and starting to get back into the groove but even then it was like you said i would i'd edit for an hour and it felt like yeah. a lot Exactly. Before exactly. I was, I'd do six hours straight. You know. Yes. Yeah, sometimes I'd look at these podcasts and I'd be like, "Oh my!" But it's God, from not only eating a half food. Hour have gone. When like I can really equate it to the lack of food I've been eating for the last couple of weeks, and I'm still having trouble. Um, you know, like tonight for dinner, I just had a piece of pizza. It was a big piece of pizza, but one piece of pizza, and I'm like done. You know. Yeah. And that's mostly what I've eaten all day because I just. I find myself really needing to force, oh, 100%. force the food in. 100%. But tomorrow is going to be a new day because I got to get up in the morning and I'm going to, I'm after it tomorrow. Yeah. I've been allowed out for a while, been out a few times, but I haven't really yeah. done much. I ran to the store a couple of times and I ran Kyle to the airport, but tomorrow I'll be up and out of the house for a good six hours. Yeah. Good. And, uh, yeah, that'll be good to get me back into the groove of eating and eating proper. Yeah. I've cut down on my coffee, so I'm going to oh, try me and, too. Like, I don't even keep coffee, that, coffee, like I can't even have more than a half a cup. I'm going to try and keep that trend going tomorrow. Something, something weird. I'd like to get coffee, down to two just, cups of coffee a day. Yeah. I just don't even, just can't even eat that either. I bought those boosters. Basically I've been eating those like protein booster shakes. Have you left the house yet? Yep. Where'd you go? I had to go to Shoppers. So, so you're outing? 
That was my feel weird to be once. out. Oh yeah, fuck, it was weird. Kyle's first day out, out, he walked all the way to your house. To my house? Really? Yeah, yeah, he walked to your house, rang the doorbell a couple of times. Wow. Paul called me, he's like, he's not answering, I don't know. He's like, I'm just going to leave the shit on the step here. So we thought for sure you were gone in the hospital. <laughs> no. <laughs> no, the doctor did question me on why I stopped taking we the vitamin We left a phone D. at your place. So, so it's weird, eh? Like, it's weird. The doctor's like, so what have you been taking for all this? I'm like, well, you know, according to you guys, I shouldn't be taking fucking anything right now. If it was because of my own initiative, like, I mean, I guess because I don't have my own family doctor, I shouldn't really be critical of people. I mean, maybe they do have family doctors and family doctors will be giving them this advice. But I told him, I've been like, okay, well, I was doing zinc and quercetin and vitamin C and vitamin D. And he's like, well, why did you stop the, the vitamin D? And I'm like, well, I just stopped everything for a while. I told him. Um, and he's like, well, you should stay on that. Just so I, I kind of, so, and well, and everything and the vitamin C and D. So I've, I've, I've kept everything. I've kept a regimen uh, ramped up since, since talking to him a couple days ago, a few days ago now. So I've been pretty, That's pretty a good. doctor, doctor. Yeah. Doctor, doctor. Yeah. Not like a naturopath or something. They just nope. kind of assigned you a doctor. No, he's a, I asked him, I slipped in ivermectin and he's like, oh no, no, we can't, uh, we don't have a blah, 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 blah. Yeah, yeah. Plugged his ears. Yeah. Wow. I did. But this. it is it is weird though how they're you know how 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 come I'm not officially given a protocol of well, vitamins if you had a family doctor doctor you might be. But yeah, yeah, maybe. It can't right, all but... be based on the emergency system. Right. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Like it's up to us, I think, to have someone to call. I mean, my yeah. doctor's a fucking idiot. There's no way he'd have any. I just, I couldn't <laughs> imagine what he would have to say. But if I said, uh, well, I think they've like made it hard to do the ivermectin. But if I told my doctor to give me shit, he's usually pretty good at just doing it. Yeah. I mean, to to a fault, to a point where I could just like go in before and say, "Give me some Percocets," and he'd be like, "How many?" <laughs> oh my god right it's a good thing i was never a pill guy yeah <laughs> um but i remember i'd always have a jar of percocets in the thing when i was like partying just because it could have great for a hangover um especially if you go to work anyway i digress i didn't do any vitamins i did them i tried did them a couple times down in the states maybe they were working i was fighting it off because i did test negative twice um and then after I was sick the one day, the next morning I took the vitamins and they just fucking hit me like a ton of bricks in the gut. Yeah. And I took like two of the, I took like fucking, you know, thousands of milligrams of shit, like 3000 of the vitamin C with this. And then another one of the vitamin C with the D and the local fucking whatever. And, uh, like fucking 30 minutes later, my guts are just rotten. And I'm just like, Oh, fucking never again. Uh, so I didn't take any more vitamins. I'm off the vitamins again. I do take my B12. And uh, and then I just started. I knew the sleep thing was going to be a thing. When it got real bad, I uh, I think I can't remember if it was Kale or my buddy Rico that told me they had heard to sleep on your stomach if it gets real bad. Um, So I tried that. The one night seemed to help. But it was really the, the hundreds and hundreds and milligrams of THC I was taking. 
a couple hours before bed. I mean, it really is just like, uh, I mean, maybe it's bad. Maybe it's like sleeping pills, but like, if I wouldn't, if I go eat a couple hundred milligrams right now by fucking eleven fifteen, man, there's no chance I can keep my eyes open. I'm like crawl, yeah. crawling up the stairs. I think there's probably a dehydration factor. It's hard to drink enough water. Yeah, I've just been. I mean, drinking I'm just so like rolling around my house like a fucking slug. Honestly, is what oh, I'm starting I to feel like. Yeah. I cannot fucking wait yeah. to get out of here and go to work tomorrow. Yeah, yeah, I know. It's uh, I'm still a little sluggish for sure. I'm so, not ready to, I mean, if there's anything this has taught me, I'm not ready to retire. With my kids being as young as they are, yeah. the way I'm sort of tied to a schedule and a routine and I can't just go off to the States for months on end, which would kind of be a thing I'd probably do right now. If I was you, I'd strongly be considering just fucking hopping in my car. Well, I guess you can't, but, you know. Just going on a fucking three-month road trip to the States for the winter and getting the fuck out of here. But I can't do that. And I've realized now in the last two weeks that if I have to stay here, I'll go fucking crazy. Like, legitimately fucking crazy. Um, It was a long fucking 14 days of not leaving my house. And I even had, like, Kyle here doing the deck, doing things. I've got a huge fucking support network online of people I can sort of just reach out at any time of day and start talking to someone really if I want it. Yeah. And it still just fucking drove me up the fucking wall to the point that I didn't even finish all the little projects I thought I'd get done. My basement's not quite clean. I didn't fucking touch my garage because I just fell into like slugma. Watch more TV in the last two weeks than I've fucking watched in the last fucking year and a half. Just because fucking there was nothing to do. Yeah. For hours and hours. And it's like, you sleep as late as you can. It's like eight. Oh, I know, dude. I, I'm telling you. And there's, and there's just no interest level for me on anything. I found six season of Meat Eater online on, on YouTube that I watched. So I watched fucking maybe fucking 70 hours of YouTube in the last couple of weeks and a couple entire fucking series on Netflix. Uh, I can't watch anything. The only thing I can watch that doesn't drive me crazy is like the little competition type things. So the one I watched, it was a bunch of people making stuff out of metal. So who could make the coolest sculpture and someone gets eliminated every week. And then another one where people were making stuff out of glass, which is fucking insane to me. I want to blow glass. I mean, if I can get a bunch of money squirreled away so I could have all this crazy stuff to do all day, like fucking Tuesday's glass blowing day and fucking... Then I could do it, but I mean, holy fuck, bro. Either that or, I mean, I don't know what I'd do. I think I'd, I'd like succumb into like shopping or something. You know what I mean? Like there's a real, something bad's going to happen there. There's there's yeah. a real, if I can't travel or do something, yeah. there's a real dangerous slip. Well, it's a good thing we've got three it. fucking podcasts and books yeah. and, you know. That's not enough for me though. <laughs> you know what I mean? It wouldn't quite yeah. be enough. Yeah. Yeah. I guess it could be when you're going like hard on the books and we yeah. could be doing yeah. more interviews and stuff like that. Yeah. But I am yeah. like itching to get back to my daily problem solving. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Existence. Yeah. And Did like, you watch Chappelle's, uh, the Chappelle comedy at all? I watched like a quarter of it. I honestly, really? I, I you just, didn't get through it. Eh? No, I didn't. I just, it's not, uh, it's, uh, and then the, I think, well, I didn't, I didn't, 
consider watching it until the kids were already here. And then I think one of the kids came in. I just, that was like two days ago, maybe I started watching it. It seems funny, I guess. I mean, honestly, I just don't give a fuck, man. I don't, uh, I know, pretty good. I know there's a bunch of hoopla about it already. And I just, yeah. I don't like where we're at these days. I remember like, it wasn't that long ago where you just come across this or maybe everyone would sort of be talking about it. But it's like fucking everywhere. You know what I mean? It's like my phone on five different things and it's, you know, all over the place on Twitter. It's on this. I'm getting fucking emails. Not even from listeners, just like generic fucking emails about it. And it's just like uh the whole pulp culture thing is just overwhelming. It's probably because I've also spent more time on my fucking phone in the last two weeks, which is ironic. I mean, because of a very phone centric day job. Yeah, but yeah. there's at least focused phone <clears throat> centric things, not just yeah. fucking killing time. Yeah, literally killing time. I mean, I I don't know how the fuck somebody hasn't left their house in a year and a half. I mean, I don't know what these fucking people are doing. I don't know what they're doing. Drugs, probably. Well, some people it, it depends where you, where you're, everybody's different, man. We're all at different spots, you know. I'm, I would I'm more solely slip in into home. a drug addiction if I was stuck. I'm, in my I'm home more for a comfortable at home now than I've ever been in my life, right? Like ever. You're hallucinating like, love, about love, fucking a spiritual I, war with elves, bro. I love my home. I, <laughs> dude, yeah, we were at battling. We were battling against the fucking billions of Chinese, man. So even after CAC? What? Even after yeah. a cat coming from that, you're like, give me my house and my solitude. Yeah. Yeah. Huh. It was a weird cat with the COVID. Made it weird. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but I, I'm just saying that, like, you know, I've finally I've made a home that I love with a woman that I love that for the first time ever where it's that, that comfortable, right? Like that. Yeah. yeah. So I just, I just, I just, I, I like it. I appreciate it now more than ever. Is the woman back yet? I, what is the woman no, back yet? No, she's still over there. So, <clears throat> well, I guess we won't keep you too long. I mean, you I got, sound I like got you, a, I got you a, have a quote, quote here. I got a, I got a quote here for you. All right, go ahead. A long time ago, before the residential school issue came up, an elder told me to go back to my community because there was a sleeping giant. And I had to go and wake it up gently. I thought he meant the elders. But when the residential school issue came up, I knew what he was talking about. He said that when the truth came out, it would reverberate throughout the world. I was a speaker at an Aboriginal Healing Foundation gathering in Moncton, New Brunswick. Is that from our guest? That's from his book, yeah. Nice one. So I guess before we jump into the show, I guess the question is, do you wish you got the shot? Mm-mm. No? No fucking way. Are you kidding me, dude? Would you recommend it for anyone still, no? I mean, okay, I was pretty surprised to see you fucking as taken down as you were and on the brink of hospitalization. I wasn't on the brink of hospitalization. Dude, I have maybe, the text on my was, phone. I, guess. I have maybe the text was, on my yeah. phone. If I go to the hospital, should I just drive to the Strathmore one? And I was like, you should call 911. <laughs> I don't think they want you just driving into the fucking. 
falling on the horn. Um, so yeah, I was, I mean, I was pretty surprised. Yeah. No, dude, no way. And for a long time, a couple weeks later. Yeah. Kyle had it here. He didn't even know. I know. Super spreader bastard. Vaccinated. Double vaxxed. Yeah. Double vaccinated super spreader. Yeah. Well, so anyways, yeah, we'll see how it goes. I'm I'm on the mend. You're on sure. the mend now. I mean, you seem yeah. like you're up, you're moving around, you're less yeah, pale. Yeah, a big podcast day today. Had an awesome show, a couple you have shows today. your shirt today. on. Yeah. <laughs> you're wearing clothes again. <laughs> wearing clothes again. <laughs> I mean, things are looking up. Well, all right, grandamerica.ca slash support. If you uh, want to help Graham keep on the men and keep that. We do have to keep the cash flow, keep the pay going. He does uh, live full time off the podcast and the audiobooks and all that stuff. Now, uh, go America.ca slash support. If you can sign up for a monthly or make a one-time donation, we would love you for it. Check out GrahamericaOutlaw.ca. We got ISIS unveiled out over on the audiobook stuff. People seem to be loving that so far. Uh, that was a really good one. Yeah. It's one of my not favorites. on adult brain yet. I didn't update the website. I got to get to that yet. But uh, it is on Audible and iTunes and every place else. So is the Sir Arthur Conan Doyle one through the magic door. And that religion of the Chinese should come out one day this week. So grab all that stuff. And that's another great way to support the show. Other than that, enjoy the wonderful chat with Dr. Professor David McDonald. Dr. David McDonald, thanks for joining us. How's it going? Yes, I'm doing well. Thanks for having me. Yeah, no problem. I thought we'd uh, maybe just start off just a little bit about yourself, uh, a little bit about your background, and then we can start getting into the, the topic of your awesome book. And Yeah, no, absolutely. So um, I'm from Regina, Saskatchewan. Um, I was uh, basically raised there, and then I went to uh, university in Ottawa and uh been to the UK after that to do my PhD. Uh, my mom's uh, from Trinidad, so she's a Indian from Trinidad. They were indentured laborers brought over uh, to cut sugarcane, and my dad's family's from Scotland originally, but they went out to the Maritimes during the Highland Clearances, so they've been in Canada for a long time. So, um, so I sort of come from a multicultural background, um, and Regina, as you may know, was uh quite a divided city growing up as i outline in the book um with a lot of divisions between um indigenous peoples and basically everybody else uh so 
you know, there was a lot of different kinds of racism growing up, but, but also, you know, within, within my own family as well. Um, because you see that that is part of the, part of the immigrant experience sometimes is, uh, um, manifesting negative feelings towards indigenous peoples as part of the process of fitting in. So, um, so that's what kind of got me interested, I guess, in some of these topics. Um, I, my wife's from New Zealand. And, uh, uh, so, uh, I worked at the University of Otago, which is in the South Island of New Zealand, for quite a while uh, until 2007, and uh, and then got a job at the University of Guelph and the political science department uh, in 2007, and I've been there ever since. So uh, it's a good it's a good university and a very friendly department. So it's uh, it's been good. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. My girlfriend lives in, uh, in Saskatchewan and, and, you know, I, I think there's still some issues there, you know, in Saskatchewan, it's still, it's still a, a ch- challenging, uh, there's still some racism lingering around and. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think for sure I did, I did a couple of, uh, publications looking at the, uh, the killing of uh, Colton Bushy and the trial of Gerald Stanley. So, uh, and, uh, Part of the research for that, I, uh, I'd written a piece for The Conversation, that online media uh, platform that academics often use. And uh, I got, I don't know how many comments it was, but I had a PhD. It was, it was very much critical of the trial that, uh, um, that, uh, that Stanley basically got off without you know, even manslaughter. And uh, I had a PhD student of mine download all the comments, and there were there are four hundred pages of of negative comments about the article, uh, which I then decided to analyze, and uh, it was it was pretty bad. Like the uh, the racism towards uh, well towards you know Colton and his family and the community was was pretty surprising. I mean, I'd seen a lot of stuff, but uh, um, it's it's definitely still there. There's no wow. doubt. Well, can you get can you get into that a little bit? And for people that don't yeah, know what, yeah, that, sure. what that case is, it's probably worth talking about. Yeah. So um, uh, a young Cree uh, man from the um, it was the Red Pheasant Reserve up uh, uh, up in Saskatchewan um, was basically out hanging around with his friends. Uh, They're driving around. They got a flat tire and uh, they drove into this farm. Uh, basically looking looking to get a get some help and uh gerald stanley was a was a farmer um he had like a, a repair business fixing cars and stuff like that uh so these guys got out they a couple of them well they'd all been drinking a bit too much so they were uh one of them had got on a kind of a quad bike um and this stanley the father and the son uh basically thought these guys were there to steal everything. Um, and so they, one of them took a hammer to the windshield and the taillight of the car that uh, Colton's friends were driving. Um, Gerald Stanley went and got a, I think it was like a Soviet made or Czech made uh, a handgun. And, uh, and basically eventually the uh, ended up shooting uh, this, this guy in the Colton Bushy in the head uh, while he was asleep in the vehicle. Um, so, uh, so the police eventually came and they, they took this guy away, but, uh, and he stood trial sometime later, but, uh, the options were second, well, yeah, it was second degree murder, uh, first degree murder, second degree, no, it was second degree murder or manslaughter, I think. 
and because uh, it wasn't premeditated. Um, but uh, they found him basically not guilty of the two counts, uh, including manslaughter, which seemed to be pretty crazy because he uh, he was basically fooling around with with a loaded gun. Um, he claimed that that he thought all the bullets had been discharged from the gun. He fired a couple warning shots to scare off uh, Colton's friends, and they basically fled from the farm. Um, and uh, so the defense claimed it was what's called a hang fire. Basically, when there's when you pull the trigger and it takes a few seconds or more before the bullet exits the chamber of the gun, and uh, and so in that case, the, the defense argued that it was it was a hang fire, although it would have been a very long one. I think about a thirty second hang fire. They did tests on the gun. There was absolutely no proof that there was anything mechanically wrong with the the Tokarev pistol. Uh, so this provoked a whole lot of. Uh, well, obviously, a lot of anger and outrage uh, amongst indigenous communities and their supporters, um, but a lot of the sort of the, the white farming population felt that uh, uh, you know that this was what should have been done. That it was it was right to acquit Stanley. That this uh, these guys shouldn't have been on the farm to begin with. That they basically deserved what they got. Um, so it became incredibly uh, polarizing and. Uh, and, and still is, still is a very polarizing issue. When, so did, you write, when did you write that? Uh, I think the conversation article was 2018. Yeah. And, uh, and then I did an academic article, which uh, came out last year. And um, I, uh, I knew some people who knew the family, some indigenous scholars, and they were able to help me um, kind of get in touch with the family, basically. And they, um, you know, to to ensure that I was doing things in a way that was respectful. So, um, and you know, a lot of the work that I do, that's, that's really important not to, uh, to do things that, that are, that are done in an appropriate way. That's why I think this whole, like your, your book, the, the sleeping, <laughs> sleeping giant awakens. Let me just get the, the sleeping giant awakens, you know, and this whole residential school thing is such an important, important thing right now, because it's, it, it's still, people don't realize it and just regular people just don't really realize they don't have a, an accurate picture of history and what happened, you know, and they're still stuck in this uh, paradigm where, you know, they think that the land has been uh, given to the natives and it's just, it's just, it, the, just the context is all off. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's, that's what I was trying to do in the, in the book is to outline a lot of the context so that we know, we know why, you know, we know where we are right now and we know, you know, we got a good idea how we got there because, uh, and those are the two aspects of, of, of truth, I guess, is that, you know, there's a lot of things that are happening now you don't know about from the media or elsewhere. And then even if you find out about them, you, you have a tendency to, to blame the person who's, who's, you know, who's there and not to actually look at the historical background behind it. So, um, so that's what I was trying to do in this book is to, to do, do some of that. Um, I also noticed too, there, there, and I still find this is true. There's very, very few books about the truth and reconciliation commission, you know, six years later, like how many books just, you know, use, use the TRC's work, uh, or have many chapters about how the truth and reconciliation commission was set up and, and what it did. I mean, that was another focus of my book. And there's actually not many books. There's maybe a handful of them that look at the TRC 
uh, and, and analyze it and, and what it did and, and what it was trying to do. And I, I find that surprising because uh, it's had a big impact with some of its recommendations, but uh, to actually study the TRC, it hasn't been done that much. Yeah, there's, yeah. there's thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of pages of, of public domain material there. I mean, I've started started digging into it a little bit, um, but I mean, it's just so much to go through. It, it's like, there's a lot. Yeah. But but I, it is a great resource. It is a, I used a bit of it in my book, but um, it, it is a great resource. So um, what... Um, I guess you've been you've been at this for a little while. What um, mm-hmm. what was sort of the? Can you sort of take us through the not without giving away too much? Sort of take us through a, a, a little overview of the book. Yeah. So um, basically, I kind of start from from the the view the question of you know is this genocide or not? Uh, I started being interested in this topic because I was looking at uh, my PhD was on the wars in Yugoslavia and the Serbs and the Croats both basically said uh, we're victims of genocide and the other side has tried to destroy us. Um, so I kind of started looking at, I guess you'd call it some, some propaganda on, on the Serb and Croat sides. And I became interested in looking at how different groups of people, uh, uh, whether they're or, or victims of genocide or not, were using uh, discussions of genocide uh, sometimes as a political strategy and uh, I, I did my PhD in, in the UK, and I was teaching in France and uh, New Zealand uh, for a while. I lived in Canada for quite a while. So the, a lot of the case studies I was looking at were uh, were other groups of people like the Armenians and uh, the Roman Sinti or Gypsies, I guess you'd call them, and, and various other groups uh, uh, who were uh, making claim, you know, who were victims of genocide and, and the kinds of imageries and things that they were using. So the book basically kind of started out by me wanting to know, like, you know, what sort of claims of genocide were being made by indigenous peoples and then whether they, they had any validity or not. Um, it also became interesting to me to, for me to talk to a lot of survivors about the issue of genocide. So I did a lot of, uh, lot of research talking with, with survivors, mainly up in Sault Ste. Marie, uh, about their experiences and whether they thought the Genocide Convention applied and, and Pretty much all of them did, and they described some experiences which were pretty horrible. Um, it was around that time that the TRC started getting uh, its work done, so uh, I, uh, I started following their work quite a bit, going to the national events and things like that. And so I became kind of interested in putting these pieces together, like what what is the TRC doing? Um, uh, and a lot of the survivors of the TRC events were talking about genocide as well. So. Um, and there were a lot of people who were saying, well, it's not genocide, it doesn't count. And a lot of indigenous people were writing books saying, uh, yes, it is. So there was, there was clearly some kind of debate about what was going on. And the TRC was, was tackling these questions. So the book basically looks at uh, what is genocide, how the TRC dealt with the question. Um, and then if we say it's genocide, which I did, what, uh, uh, what evidence do we have to make that case? Um, and, uh, you know, what kind of genocide is it? And then if it is genocide, what do we do about it? Like, how does that, how does that affect the reconciliation process? Uh, and I basically make the argument there's, there's sort of like two kinds of genocide. There's, there's one that's in international law. So there's like a UN convention that was uh, passed in 1948, which lays out, 
international law, what genocide is. And then there's a lot of uh, sociological definitions. So academics have basically looked at the convention, say there's areas that um, that should be covered by the law but aren't um, for various reasons that I outline in the book. And uh, so I use two different models of understanding genocide to then look at the residential schools and uh, make the argument that it is. Um, I then look at, at the 60s scoop as well. Uh, and, uh, and, then, and then from there, move on to make some, some recommendations. Do you, feel, do you feel like, when I was reading your book, I kind of felt like the whole genocide, like whether it was cultural genocide or the traditional type of genocide, I mean, I felt like that, that whole thing, the, trying to, to, to define it, not from your perspective, but from like a, a legal perspective from the UN, or I felt like it kind of almost... Um, held up reconciliation or, or like stalled, stalled it all. I mean, if, if, if they're so focused on whether or not it was genocide, like I felt like that sort of, uh, you know, almost slowed it down. I mean, that's, that's, uh, that's a, that's not an uncommon argument. Um, there's a well-known historian of the residential schools, Jim Miller, um, that he and I were friends for many years, but, uh, we've, I don't know. We have we have a big disagreement about the, the issue of genocide, and that's his argument, uh, basically that it. If you start looking at genocide too much, it uh, it pokes a stick in 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 reconciliation processes. Uh, it, uh, it makes the settler side of the equation uncomfortable, unhappy. Oh right, uh, and you, yeah, and you address a, some of that. It leaves yeah. a bad. Yeah. It leaves a bad taste in their mouths, and uh, and so it makes reconciliation harder. But uh, but the question is, you know, is it is it genocide or not? Like, and if it is, then uh, you know, maybe that maybe maybe we're at the truth stage right now. Or you know, and it's not like there's one piece. I mean, there's like you know, there's over thirty million people in Canada, and everyone's got their own idea of what reconciliation is and what they want to do or not do about it. Um, and there's also going to be thirty million or so views about what the truth is, and. Uh, and so we're all going to have our own particular views, and we're going to try to arrive at, at what we think are the right solutions to that. Uh, so, yeah, it, it may get in the way of some people's idea of what truth and reconciliation is. Uh, if you think it's not genocide, then saying it is is going to get in the way of reconciliation. If you do think it's genocide, then uh, then denying that it's genocide is going to get in the way of reconciliation. So it's... Uh, you know, it's a matter of perspective, I guess, is how I'd put it that way. Um, and I think that, you know, for me, this is less about reconciliation and more about the truth stage. It's like, what, you know, what, what, what are we dealing with here in terms of Canadian history? Like, uh, and, uh, and I think the book is more timely now, too, because, like, as I was launching the book, we have the, uh, the National Enquirer on Murder and Missing Indigenous Women and Girls. And so, uh, I get people pushing back on the book, but really they're also pushing back on that national inquiry. And so the, the question of genocide is bigger than, is bigger than a book and it's bigger than the inquiry. I mean, the Canadian uh, history historians association, they just, they passed a declaration or statement saying that they recognize the residential schools as genocide. Um, and, and that, that had a lot of pushback from other historians as well. So I don't know. I think it, maybe it stops some kinds of reconciliation, but, it could be the it could be opening the door to to deeper forms is what I would yeah, say. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I mean, it's better to go with the 
closest to the truth as we can with this stuff. I mean, you know. Yeah. You know, it's like if someone if someone steals your car and uh, you know you you want the car back, but they refuse to admit that they've you know they've taken it. They call it something else. I mean, it's uh, um, for a lot of people the the genocide label fits, and to say less is uh, is not good enough. I mean, I talked to people who were supportive of the um, well, there was a um, like a recognition uh, bill or I can't statement. I'm not sure what it was called, but Leah Gazan, the uh, uh, an NDP MP from Winnipeg uh, earlier this year uh, introduced um, a resolution, I think it was called, a non-binding resolution to the federal parliament uh, to recognize the residential schools as genocide. And uh, there was some pushback about that. And I was talking to someone who was helping her out, and um, I was saying something to the effect of, well, I guess you could try for cultural genocide because that would, you know, that might be the middle ground. But you see, that wouldn't necessarily satisfy people that uh, that believe it to be genocide. They would they would think that's a, a watered down, uh, sort of second second class kind of a finding uh, in terms of, uh, of recognition. Yeah. Can but you give us some examples of why you come to the conclusion of genocide? Uh, yeah. Well, I, th- I mean, it's uh, so if you look at Article Two E of the Genocide Convention, it's it's about. Uh, intentionally forcibly transferring children from one group to another group. So, uh, I mean, you can look at the acts of, of, you know, the RCMP, the Indian agents, whoever taking the kids away. You can also look at the coercion parents being threatened or grandparents that they don't take the kids or grandkids or, uh, the kids under their care to, uh, residential schools. They could go to prison. Um, if you look at legislation like, um, the 1920 amendment to the Indian act, which, makes it compulsory for status indigenous kids to go to some form of schooling. But at the same time, they're also closing the day schools and the schools on reserve and amalgamating these into, uh, into the residential schools, which are further away. Uh, then you get, you get all sorts of, uh, you know, all sorts of evidence of that. Uh, you also have, uh, I mean, and, and this is how I structure the book, but, the, the high levels of abuse in the school are also in a way designed to um, to prevent the child from going back to the life that he or she had before going into the school. So you're basically, you know, you're transferring the kids away from something. Um, and, and, and the way that the law on genocide works is, is it a question of, are they being transferred to something else? Uh, well, not necessarily, but they're being transferred away from and uh and the lives that they had the languages that they spoke uh the spiritual practices that they had their ties to their families all that stuff gets severed and uh you know for those who try to get it back it's it's incredibly difficult in many cases i mean some cases maybe not but in many cases it is yeah banning the language and teaching english i would say is a, or french is a pretty a pretty pretty clear example of changing taking the children and changing their culture. Yeah. Well, especially for and, uh, for indigenous uh peoples like our culture is so heavily tied with the language. Like the yeah. stories and everything else can if you don't have the language that you, you lose a lot of the meanings in the stories oh, that's or a the good teachings. Point. Yeah. yeah. It changes so, the whole spiritual the spiritual it changes the whole spiritual context of, well, Yeah, uh, it, it kind of goes into the whole um George Orwell, 
you know, out of, uh, I think it's 1984 with the new speak and the old speak, you get rid of the old speak. And that, so that by taking the language away, it kind of does that. So we don't understand yeah. what the stories were and what they're trying to teach us. A lot of the survivors too talked about um, skin color. So they were taught that their skin color was dirty. Um, that uh, And so you see this kind of trying to, like a number of survivors talked about how they, tried to scrub off their skin color so they could be white or they talked about how the the teachers would uh would prioritize the the lighter skin kids um so there are a lot of politics of 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 colorism i guess you could say uh and that would that would continue after the residential schools as well and so uh you know different people like uh howard adams in his adam in his book the prisoner of grass i think it's called um talks about how he had a lighter skin color and um, managed to do better in life than people with darker skin. And so these kinds of things become, become part and parcel of, of, of that as well. Uh, causing people to judge themselves, um, to try to, uh, to change themselves, to, to try to fit in into, into a society they don't think is going to necessarily accept them as they are. So, um, so those are some of the themes that, that I look at in the book. Yeah, I think I think that the lighter skin one is interesting because my great-grandmother uh, was a residential school survivor, and she was lighter-skinned and lighter-haired, and she never once had anything negative to say about her experience. She just had mm. nothing good to say about it. So um, now I was I always wondered why that was, and maybe potentially, you know, that, that could be the case. Yeah, it's, it's possible. Um, I mean, a lot of people... Like and this is why the TRC was interesting too. I mean, they never they never told the kids anything negative about the residential schools uh, until they went to the TRC, and some of them would give testimony and really horrible stuff. But uh, so I don't know. Yeah, I mean, maybe things were bad too, too and she did, just didn't want to talk about it. But you know, but maybe the skin color was 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 important. Uh, so many very very strange things that happened in those schools that uh we'll probably never know about mm-hmm. uh, you no, know. well i'd like to know what what your opinion is on the actual trc recommendations as or and who who are they really for like who who are they really meant to benefit because and now I'm, I'm saying this from from the perspective of a mohawk uh, who's pretty much lived on on the reserve in Gunawage in quebec majority of my life and spent most of my time, my professional career in economic development on, on, on reserve. And at least some of the recommendations that I find, like, like for instance, of like any major event that we have, uh, you know, you have to say which tribal land you're on that or, or whose nation, whose nation's land you're on, uh, and, and recognize that. But from, uh, from from someone on reserve on working in economic development, that really has no impact on any of us. That does not necessarily address the fact that forty one percent of our eighteen to twenty four year olds are un, unemployed. Yeah, you know, or we have a twenty four percent high school dropout rate. Um, you know, so all these other issues, none of by doing that does not address these other issues. No, I agree. Uh, I mean, I think. I think a lot of the recommendations are good. Do they go far enough? Probably not. Um, I think only maybe 10 or 12 out of the 94 and the 94 and then there's like sub recommendations have been, have been met successfully met by the government anyway. So 
uh, it becomes difficult to know what what the world would look like if all the recommendations were implemented. Um, so I think there there are some recommendations that deal with things like land back and indigenous law and restoring languages. Uh, one of them, and I can't remember the number now, There's, I think maybe there was three of them now, but it dealt with creating this kind of national like oversight body that would be independent to monitor the status of reconciliation or monitor the status of the recommendations. And none of the, you know, the Trudeau government is, has not really done anything about that. So half the time we don't even know what what's going on with, with the recommendations, uh, whether they're going to do anything with them or, or not. So, um, I mean, I think I, I'd say, I think if the recommendations are all carried out, I think it's a good start. But what I'm seeing is that maybe only 10% of them have been carried out. So we're not, we, we're not at a good start. And, uh, you know, we're not even, we're not even really trying as a, as a country to, to implement these things. So, but they're not, they don't include everything and they don't they're not going to address the problems that necessarily that you're looking at i mean they might they might go some way towards helping out but uh i don't know what do you think what's uh, what's your impression of them well not knowing them all in detail uh i've just recently started really looking into this um you know i i find at least some of the more popular ones that most people know about or I'll even give the latest example of, you know, in two days, we're going to have the first Truth and Reconciliation Day. Not if you're still in Alberta, you're not. Okay. <laughs> but but the fact is that, once again, that's kind of like the last issue of um, who, who is it really meant to benefit? Like, like it doesn't really address the issue on the ground of what the cause, not, 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 so okay, we we kind of know what the cause is of the residential schools, but the long term generational impacts that are have are that are occurring, you know, through, throughout uh, both both on reserve and off reserve with the with the survivors and uh, their children, and yeah. the differences in the livelihood. I mean, even for myself, living you know just a few kilometers outside of downtown Montreal in my home, we still don't have clean drinking water. Um, yeah. every other municipality around us has it. But nothing in the TRC, I think, really addresses that, you know. Um, you know, so so that's kind of my opinion. It's like it's yeah, we're acknowledging it, but a lot of things seems to make it more for the government to say, look, we actually did something. And well, it, I yeah. mean, it's yeah. more to say that you're doing something about the UN resolution, if you ask me. I mean, they're kind of designed to sort of tick all of those off. Let's make sure that we're we're we've got a plan for all of the things on this UN declaration that we first said no to, and then everyone freaked the fuck out. So we had to say yes. So they have to address that somehow. How do you address that? You come up with the, the Truth and Reconciliation Commission, who then comes out with these 98, 94 points, which conveniently cover everything in the UN resolution. So now that can kind of quietly go away as being dealt with. And that's sort of my take on it. Whether or not we'll ever see the 94 resolutions get done, I do think that would be a good start. Whether or not we'll see those get done, I think drinking water is more important. I think it's terrible that Trudeau, again, you know, is, is has to promise drinking water again. And, uh, yeah. and you know, but, but you know, um, he's, put, he's sent about 
$24 billion overseas in foreign aid since he started in 2017 or 2015, by my count. Um, mm. Not to mention, you know, money spent fighting residential school survivors, money sent to Africa for COVID, you know, vaccines bought to sit on shelves, everything. There's money for everything except for for that. And the the nerve that he'd, he'd have to run on that again is just sort of disgusting. But in my estimation that's what the TNR report is for to so that you have the at least the appearance of dealing with the UN resolution yeah i mean i don't i don't know about the sequence of events there because uh the a lot of the TRC like the settlement agreement and stuff happened before the um before the UN declaration was was passed in 2007 um and from what i understand i mean the the Harper government was pretty unhappy with the UN declaration. They didn't want to have anything to do with it. Um, like the TRC, like um, they were, they were keen to promote the declaration and, and it does deal with things like drinking water and stuff probably better than the TRC recommendations themselves. So I think the point of that declaration is that you actually, you've got an international standard and you can use that to judge what the Canadian government is or is not doing. Yeah, I agree. And, and uh, that's why I think 2008 is when the TNR starts, which is after the that. Or the TRC starts after the report. So the TRC is then made to, to come out with its recommendations that deal with that report. Yeah, well, I think I think you get, you get a promotion of, of the declaration because uh, – well, because Chief Littlechild was uh, was very active in the UN system and helped to put together the declaration. So, you know, I think it and and that does become a good standard for how the government should should treat indigenous people. So I don't. Um, I, I agree with that. As a positive, yeah, I agree I'd with that for the UN report. I agree with that a hundred percent. Now, my my point is more that the TNR report. TRC. Or the TRC recommendations, the TRC recommendations are to make it seem like the Canadian government has dealt with or is actively dealing with the UN report, the UN declaration. It sort of gives the entire general public that the Canadian government is actively dealing with this, with this UN thing by, by this TRC commission. They've got all these recommendations when meanwhile, in the background, nothing's really happening other other than, you know, the stuff that was sort of in motion already. And like you say, we're, we're lucky if we're at 10 percent. Yeah. So I guess I guess it's it'll boil down to like your assumptions about who was controlling the TRC. So um, my sense of it um, and I went did a lot of activities with them. I briefly worked for them because I, I thought they were doing good work, not because um so my sense of it was that they were pretty independent from the government. Um, I mean, they took, they took the government to court a few times to get, to get information released. Uh, there were all these lawsuits and stuff because the government wasn't releasing information. The churches weren't releasing information. Um, once they started talking about genocide publicly, like Murray Sinclair, the, uh, the access to information started drying up even more. Um, so I, I don't, my sense is that the, the TRC wasn't really working that well with the government. I mean, there were, 
there were people from Indian Affairs that were, you know, seconded to the TRC. But, uh, but I mean, this was survivor money. Most of it was running on survivor money. They had a, a council of, uh, of survivors um, who, uh, who, you know, day to day were, uh, were, were helping out the TRC in terms of where it should be going, what it should be doing. Um, so, I, I mean, I've heard lots of, lots of people think that the TRC is, was controlled by the Harper government, but that, that wasn't my impression. Um, and uh, so I, I don't know if that's what you're suggesting or not. But. Well, I don't blame the Harper government at all. I mean, I think they're all in, in bed together. I mean, I don't think there's a difference between the Trudeau liberals or the Harper conservatives or, or you know, or... Or I mean, I guess we'll see if if so, if the, if we see yeah, change yeah. over the next ten or fifteen years, maybe I can be 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 convinced to sort of come over to your side of the field. But from my side, it just seems like another whitewash. It seems like another, you know. I mean, I mean, in some ways, that's what we're seeing with these with these unmarked graves again, right? We can Trudeau can have a teddy bear, and we can we can do this and that, but no one's ever no one's actually held accountable. You know, we can't even get an yeah. actual actual fucking apology and. And, you know, it's just, it gets frustrating. I mean, you look at the 60s scoop, for example, where, where they get what, 40,000 bucks or most of them are getting less than 20, but the law firms get 18.75 million each. I mean, it's craziness. Yeah. And I mean, what does, yeah. well, again, what does, what does the, the apology and the $20,000 also comes with the caveat of you signing away your rights for future, for future this or that, right? You know, it's, it's yeah. again, I would argue, uh, let's, this needs to be dealt with now so that we're not dealing with it anymore in 10 years. Yeah, no, that makes sense. Um, I mean, my, my point is not that I'm, I mean, I'm pretty critical of the Trudeau government in the book too. Uh, I mean, they're different in the sense that they've got slightly different support bases. Uh, but, uh, and so they'll play to their support bases. And so, They'll say different things because their support bases want to hear different things, and they'll come up with slightly different policies because their bases want slightly different policies. But, um, but at the end of the day, they're, they're they're similar. I mean, they're both they're both parties that helped found the country and keep it going. And both the liberals and conservatives were were in government during the residential school and the '60s scoop. So, uh, you know, there's a lot of continuity there. Uh, I was just reading a book on Mackenzie King, and I mean, he was. It was a nasty piece of work, uh, and uh, and I don't know that Wilfrid Laurier was was uh, was as as wonderful, uh, you know, as people say. Um, was he way better than Johnny McDonald? I, I don't know. Um, I think I think in part of the, the the issue of the statues, and we could talk about that if you like. Um, they're going after the conservatives, who are demonstrably worse. But the early liberals were not great either. Uh, so that's, you know, that's something that those are some pieces of the historical puzzle that haven't really come out a lot quite yet. What about, what about the actual, like, I've heard that some of the, the, uh, the indigenous peoples that were watching some of these apologies were pretty upset that they weren't addressing like the killings or people actually dying. And, and it was the TRC, 
the, like, did they not approach that? Um, and maybe that has something to do with the, why the genocide was harder to define because you hear from some people that thousands, thousands of kids died and, and they, I don't know if that's really ever been properly approached officially. Um, I guess it depends how you define properly. Like, uh, the TRC did have a missing children volume and, uh, and I think they, they gave some estimates of, I think, I can't remember now, maybe 4,000, 4,500 uh, children who had died or gone missing. Um, now, they had a few problems, and one of the problems was finance. Uh, they, went, they went to the government, the Harper government, and asked for more money. Uh, and they were told this wasn't part of the original mandate of the TRC, so you're not going to get any more money. So they knew there were more bodies to be found. Uh, they had a good idea where they could find them and they knew who they could hire to find those bodies, but they didn't have the money to do it. And, uh, and so that was part of the problem. Uh, Did they mention you know, they that had, in the report? Uh, I think so. Yeah. I think it was mentioned in the report. It's certainly been mentioned in statements by, uh, by the commissioners after the fact. Um, I've got it in my book as well. You could have a look and I'm not, I'm not sure where all the footnotes will lead you, but, uh, you could have a look and see. Um, I mean, the other thing, too, is that they had to have documentary written evidence for everything, right? Like, um, and, and we know that tens of thousands of documents or more were destroyed. And that's if the documents even existed to begin with. So, um, you know, there were lots of cases. And I talked to survivors who, you know, had the people had people had died and, and there were no documents to be found. So the TRC was kind of in, in that that funny situation where they they did need to have a bit of a paper trail to to make um or else what would happen i mean the the sort of the the right of center uh uh redneck would would then accuse the trc of exaggerating right so they they had to play a bit a bit conservative and make sure that they had the they had the the facts and figures to back up their claims and um but like I mean, Commissioner Sinclair had said a number of times that he thought the figure was was quite a bit higher, maybe double. I think he said even even triple the number that they found. It's just that they didn't have the paperwork and they didn't have the money to to go and, and find all the evidence. Um, and that's the real tragedy of it. I mean, they the infrastructure was in place. Uh, had the Harper government been willing to put more money into this, uh, they would they would have found a lot more a lot more people. Um, and we'd have a different, a different death toll. What's I'm not like? saying they did it perfectly, but I mean, yeah, uh, there was a lot of scope, uh, had the government been willing to help out more with the money, um, you know, it would have, it would have been much better. Yeah. 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 That makes sense that you kind of need to have your ducks in a row, especially if you're talking about murdered kids or, you know, missing kids, <laughs> it's gotta be well-documented. Yeah. Yeah, but you I mean Harper didn't I mean they didn't they didn't want to find a whole bunch of kids. No, I mean they no. weren't. Yeah. Um they they wanted this whole thing to go away. Uh, and Harper said so. I mean he he said stuff to the effect that you know the apology was kind of you know that was it. He just he didn't he didn't want to cooperate with the TRC. He wanted them to go away. So um you know there's people that are critical of it and they say it didn't go far enough, but I mean as far as Harper was concerned it was going way too far and they were meddling in places they shouldn't be meddling. And the, the TRC staff and commissioners knew that they they kept they pushed as far as they could push, but um, you know they didn't they didn't ultimately push everywhere. But they I think they did a pretty good job. Yeah. 
what's it like for you now? Like, do you, cause your book came out in what, 2019 and then, you know, yeah. last year or, and, uh, and this year, I guess, really not too long after your book, it kind of exploded in the, in the media and the news with finding more unmarked graves. That must've been interesting from, from your perspective. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I'm obviously still publishing on these topics. Um, and doing a lot of interviews about it. Um, uh, so it, I, I think it, it confirms more of the kinds of things that I've been saying, but I mean, nothing I'm saying is all that original. I mean, this is all stuff that survivors and, and uh, indigenous institutions have been saying for, you know, for ages. So um, it's just putting it in a form that some people will read that they might not read if it's a survivor testimony or something else. So um I don't claim to be dazzlingly original in the book, but I, I do claim maybe to put it out in such a way that it's, it's accessible for, for people that might not otherwise look at the material. Um, but yeah, I keep, I keep publishing. I mean, um, there's a Royal commission on abuse and care here in New Zealand that, uh, is looking at some similar kinds of things to, uh, to what the TRC looked at and, uh, you know, which is kids, indigenous kids mainly being taken from their families and communities and, uh, taken away um, and then losing, losing the, their contact with their culture and their language and everything else. So uh, I guess what I'm taking away from all this is that this is a, it's a much bigger issue than just a Canadian issue. It's, uh, it's something that happened, you know, around the world. Uh, you can go to another, another hemisphere and you're still going to find similar patterns. That's, that's the crazy thing about it. Yeah. We, t- we had a guy from Australia on who was looking into the, the uh, near near cool, I think, is the school that um, near cool, and they had you know a bunch of. Kids I don't know. From, I don't know from, it from the UK go over there, and and it was very similar to what was happening with the residential schools here, and it, and it really does smack of like a more of a global kind of Catholic Church type type problem, you know, and the, and the governments as well. But yeah, well, I mean, the, the the problem of the Catholic Church is a whole big can of worms, and I mean it's. Because you've got you, you've got global networks of, of perpetrators. I mean, the, um, you know, they're moving these people around. They they you know they do horrible crimes in one country, and then they're they move to another country, or you know, and, and there's so it's just it's pretty horrible stuff. Um, and we're getting more to the truth of it, but you know, it's really I think it's just the beginning of really getting into you know, what large organizations like the Catholic Church have been up to because uh, they've been very good at uh, at shielding their people from from public scrutiny for a long time. Yeah. They yeah, seem to be organizationally to... set up in such a way that it's hard to dig into them or get past, you know, you can take down like one institution, but you can't go any further than that. The way they're sort of yeah. each set up as its own private. Well, well, didn't the Catholic Church refuse to apologize? The Pope did. Is that the Catholic yeah. Church? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's that's it. There's, I mean, if you look at the settlement agreement for the residential schools, it's the Catholic entities. So each, um, uh, I think each diocese, you know, the bishop is like, like the CEO of a corporation, and uh, so I don't can't remember how many Catholic entities there are in Canada, but quite a few, and they're all separate. So if one goes bankrupt. Uh, the rest remain like it doesn't uh, it doesn't affect the others financially. So while they're very hierarchical, they're also, as you say, like really, really spread out in terms of the liability issue. 
makes it really, really difficult to, well, to get information um, and also to find a larger institution uh, uh, liable for, for what happened. Is there, think, sorry. No, go ahead. Yeah, is there any evidence? It's, you know, we, we kind of talk about it on, you know, on, on the reserve that the residential schools out west were a lot worse than, than the ones in, like, say, Quebec and, and Ontario. Is there any evidence of that? Like, were there more deaths out there or worse treatment? Uh, uh, well, anecdotally, uh, I have heard that the ones in BC were the worst. Um, and part of it was because they kept, if the, if the teachers or staff were particularly bad, they just kept moving them west uh, until they couldn't go any further west. Um, so that's, that's what I've heard. Um, but, uh, but that's just an anecdote, but, uh, so yeah, it could, it could be true. Um, I've heard some pretty horrible stories about, uh, about residential schools in Ontario though. Um, some pretty bad ones, uh, from Manitoba and and certainly from Saskatchewan, uh, which seem to be as bad as the BC ones. But, um, but I have heard there was a concentration of really bad, things going on in the BC schools, like just the, the sheer number of schools and the number of, of, I guess you'd say perpetrators in those schools was higher, but I don't have any, I don't have any evidence of that. Just, just things I've heard. Um, it's hard to wrap your head around. Like it, it's it for, uh, you know, I think the narrative has been so mixed up over the years. Like even when you, like I'd heard about residential schools, but just to, it takes years of of sort of learning about it to really wrap wrap your head around what's what's happened. Like I, I just think for for normal people, it just it's going to take a while for them to understand really what it's all what how how bad it really was. Like it's just hard to it's hard to even imagine you know that the global Catholic network and 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 what was happening in these residential schools all over the world or not all over, but I mean at least you know Australia, New Zealand, here. I mean it's just hard to it's hard to fathom. It's yeah. not too long ago, you know, where I grew up no, in the 80s no. thinking that, oh, there, you know, I grew up in the 80s thinking, oh, there's no more wars and no more racism. But I mean, it wasn't too long ago. It was only a few, couple decades ago. Yeah. And, and kids are still being taken now. Right. So it's not it's not like um, any of this is like fully over. I mean, there's still there's still kids being taken from their from their moms all the time and put into care of various sorts. So. You know these these problems still are still going on, um, and I think I mean I guess my point would be that um, it's it's the government's role to they're going to have to lead the way with this. Um, a lot of their voters are not going to they won't really understand what happened, um, and they might not care enough to you know to be willing for the government to do something. But it, it's going to take some leadership, some more leadership than what we've seen to. Um, they're going to just have to lead the way. And then people will wake up and say, oh, these positive changes have happened for Indigenous peoples. I guess that's okay. I can live with that. My taxes haven't gone up. Okay, whatever. I'll just go back to my job. And, like, you know, this is this is kind of how uh, a lot of the civil rights stuff in the U.S. happened. The government would just do stuff. And, uh, like, Seymour Hirsch, who is a well-known journalist, uh, writes a lot about, uh, and uh, what's his name now? There's another guy. Howard Zinn uh, writes about being around the in the South during the Civil Rights era. And uh, stuff was just desegregated. And uh, 
people would be against desegregation. But once it happened, they were just like, well, you know, it's not it's not worth my energy to to fight the new system. So I'm just going to put up with it. And, you know, ultimately, and that's the sad truth, the governments have got to step up and they've got to change things. And uh, and the voters will probably just go along with it, you know, if they don't see any material disadvantage to their lives. So, yeah. but the government can't keep going chasing after polls all the time. It's got to it's got to step up and and do the right thing. Yeah. And they'll probably find that most people either will support it or they won't care enough to vote for the other party. You know. And yeah. uh, but it does take a bit of courage and some leadership to make make these things happen. Yeah. What do you want to talk about? How you you reference uh, conciliation versus reconciliation in your book? Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, I use the term conciliation because I don't, I don't know if there's ever been this period of reconciliation between, between settlers and indigenous peoples. I mean, there probably has been in some cases, uh, but I think it's, um, I think it's, uh, it's, it's a misnomer. I mean, it, it, it implies that there was some golden age when everyone got along great and then things went badly. But the problem of that myth of the golden age is that it's, uh, uh, it's indigenous peoples handing over the land to the settlers. So, Part of that golden age is is about land, is about willing surrender of land, which I don't. Um, there's nothing I've ever read or heard that suggests that that's true. So that's part of the reason that I think conciliation is a better word, um, uh, because it's. I, I think the term reconciliation was attractive for for the people that did the settlement agreement because of South Africa and other places. Like people know what a Truth and Reconciliation Commission is in Canada. Um, if you start using other words and concepts then you know you might lose people but uh, so it makes sense that the term is was used that way uh, but I, I i just don't think it's 100 percent accurate in the canadian case that's all did you uh did you come across the missing women at all um in your in your research like that still seem to be happening uh in northern canada and some of the provinces yeah, I mean, I came across it when I was doing my research, but it was um, it wasn't really an area I was looking at because the area I was looking at was was so big anyway that I just you know I just basically looked at a section of 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 everything that I could I could talk about um, and do within the size of a book, and I focused on that. But uh, but yeah, that was that was certainly something I was thinking about too, and. Yeah. Uh, you know, because most of my research collaborators are, are indigenous women. And so, you know, I've, I've heard lots of stories and I, you know, I'm, I definitely know about things that have happened and are happening. Do you know anybody uh, I, that's doing that, doing that research that we could get? a? I think we, Darren, weren't you trying to uh, find somebody to talk to you about that too? Yes. Yeah. Do you, yeah. If you know of anybody, let, let us know who's. Uh, yeah. Who's yeah. I'll do that. Research. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, uh, there's someone at Guelph, uh, Myrna Dawson, who runs uh, a center, which is, I think it's called the Feminide, Femicide Center at Guelph. I think okay. she's a Canada research chair. Uh, her last name is Dawson, Myrna Dawson. Okay. And uh, she's done a lot of work in that space for a long time, so she might be, she might be someone to talk to. Um, I, it's not, as I say, like it's, this is a huge, huge, there's so much to know. Um, and, uh, to do everything is to, you know, it's, it's it's impossible. So, I mean, I, I know a certain amount of things, but I don't, I don't know enough to, 
to call myself any kind of a yeah, yeah. really knowledgeable academic type of person on, on those things. Yeah. It's just, it's just another one of those things that deserves more attention. It's right in our backyard. So, you know, it's, yeah, well, that's it's just, right. It's, it's crazy that it's still happening. Yeah. Yeah, it, it really is. I mean, and, uh, you know, yeah. You yeah, mentioned right. some, some horror stories out of Manitoba, Ontario. Do you want, we willing to share some of those with us? Uh, yeah, I seem to be running out of power. I'm down to 5%. Um, uh, I'm not sure what to do because I'm, I'm plugged into the thing that I need to charge my okay. iPad. Do, uh, yeah, I guess I got 5% power. Uh, I don't know. I mean, I've, I've put some stuff into the, into the book. I can't really share anything more because uh, uh, I interviewed survivors. Um, I did transcripts. Uh, I was bound by research ethics um, approval. And then whatever I put in the book, I got the permission of the survivors. So uh, I can't really comment more on stuff that I heard that isn't in the book because uh, it's not cleared for research ethics. Um, but, uh, but I mean, generally there was just a lot of, a lot of uh, stories of abuse, but just, just people being very badly treated, um, being made to make really horrible decisions where all the outcomes were, were bad decisions. Um, just put in, put in situations where, you know, no one should ever be put in. Uh, and then there was like, I talk in the book about one, uh, yeah, I mean, just just really bad stuff. So there's there's stuff in the book uh, that you could look at, um, but I mean, the the survivors' uh, stories in the TRC volume are are full of things that um, you know that that are pretty horrible, um, and the survivor memoirs as well. Uh, there's there's quite a few of those too. So um, yeah, there's nothing else I could really share. I don't think before we before you run out of percent. Uh, what yeah. were some of the solutions you you were you were recommending? Um, well, one of the big ones was was land. So, um, I mean, I think the land base has to be restored. Um, I mean, most of the land is still crown land, so we need to figure out how to get how to get that land back to indigenous peoples and governments. Um, and uh, I think that's I think the land issue is central. Um, and uh, yeah, getting, you know, making forcible transfer uh, illegal under the criminal code because the, um, the full genocide convention still isn't in our criminal code. And that wasn't a TRC recommendation, but it should have been. Um, um, there are a number of ones. Uh, off the top of my head, I'm kind of drawing a blank as to, to exactly what I recommended. But uh, um, most of it had to do with uh, promoting indigenous uh, self-determination and uh, the return of land. Um, it also has to do with an awareness that genocide is about uh, destroying governments. Um, that, as a political scientist, I'm interested in how indigenous governments were also targeted and destroyed. I mean, it's not just about people, but it's about uh, it's about governments that have functioned successfully for thousands of years, and then you come in and you destroy the governments uh, along with those people, and then all the infrastructure that that supports them. Um, and that's something that, like. As people that study politics, we don't look at that much. Uh, we don't think of indigenous peoples having successful governments over thousands of years. Um, but that that ultimately is what happened. I mean, uh, foreign governments came in and uh, forcibly replaced uh, indigenous governments, and uh, and can still continue to do that. So, 
you know, part of reversing this process then is about is about trying to restore those those kinds of governments so that uh, you know, uh, and so that we're not as settlers tempted tempted to create institutions which are going to continue to roll over indigenous governments uh, again. Um, That's a great point. Yeah, I mean, they just take away the whole infrastructure, and then and then from then on, it's easier to assimilate you know or destroy the culture completely yeah, yeah. that's that's one of the areas that where i've been looking at a lot and my i guess the issue i i question is would the if they give us that to allow us to choose our own form of government would they recognize a government that's not democratic well that's a good question and i i don't know the answer to that the answer is probably they wouldn't right yeah um but the question is, can you get to a point where they don't have the power to make that determination without looking like, you know, like they're overtly colonizing people? So, and maybe that's, that's, that's the leverage that the, the, the UN declaration, the UNDRIP, can provide. Um, in other countries, people are hoping so, that it will, um, when you talk about, you know, the right to self-determination in the declaration, it could... It can give you the leverage to say, you know, this is our kind of government, and uh, and we're going to do things our way. Um, I mean, it shouldn't be a whole laundry list of things that the, the Canadian government decides is is uh, legitimate or not. Um, it's about you know that legitimacy coming from within the indigenous communities that they decide what the government is. So yeah, I'd, I'm just saying that the declaration might be able to provide some leverage. I think some of the discussion of genocide, which I do in the book, is also designed to to help indigenous peoples to have a bit more leverage as well. Like if it's if it's useful to uh, to promoting political goals, then I'm you know totally behind that. And uh, I think that's part of the reason I wrote the book. It's it's uh, it may be helpful to some people um, to leverage further self determination from the government. I don't know if it will be or not but if it is then that would be that would be good yeah i think it's because we have a lot of well but both from the indigenous perspective but also plenty of modern examples of when a democracy is forced upon a people that doesn't tend to work out very well no you know, so no it doesn't because democracy itself doesn't work out that well i mean yeah uh, <laughs> you know it's uh the numbers are terrible. I mean, the number of people that voted voted for the liberals is small. And uh, and you look at here, like I'm a permanent resident in New Zealand. I can vote in every election. But, you know, you've got a huge disenfranchised population of permanent residents paying taxes, sending their kids to school. They can't even vote for the school board. They can't vote for provincial MPPs. They can't vote for anybody. Um, they're just there to make money for and pay taxes. And, and they have no say in government either. So, uh, you know, it's not, it's not a perfect system by, by any means. Um, and there's lots of first past the post could have been abolished by Trudeau as well, but he decided to play a cynical game and, uh, and not even look at a proportional system. So yeah, there's lots of things that are wrong with our democracy for sure. Um, we're better off with the monarch. Where, uh, where can people get the book? Uh, well, I think you can you can get it on the uh, University of uh, Toronto Press site. I mean, I don't know, like Barnes and Noble, Amazon, like it's just kind of everywhere. Um, 
the Good Minds Bookshop in Brantford has got it. Uh, most of like your local local bookshops, if they don't have it on the shelf because it's now a bit old, they can order it in. Um, but if you go to the U of T website, uh, it was like fifteen bucks for a while there, uh, and then you can get a you can get an e copy for probably about nine or ten dollars. Um, so uh, yeah, now I got a problem because I'm down to two percent. So uh, that's I okay. Sign off, but, yeah, we yeah. can we can wrap this up. Uh, do you have a website okay. or anything like that you want to give out? Uh, yeah, so uh, my website is. Uh, is uh where the heck is it now uh i'll just send a message to myself like yeah it's uh it's david b mcdonald.com so not david mcdonald but david b mcdonald.com no relation and, to uh, john a not, yeah not a yeah <laughs> uh and you can i mean a lot of my articles a lot of my published work is up there so there's like lots of pdfs that people want to download stuff and anyone wants any you know, my publications or anything, they can email me and I'll, I'll, I'll try to sort it out. I generally do have a, um, I generally do send uh, copies of my book to survivors if they want them. So, um, so uh, I think I sent like 14 copies one time to somewhere in Ontario. Um, so if there are survivors that want a copy and they can't afford it or something, I can, I can arrange to have them get one uh, if it's helpful. Um, yeah. But Thanks, it Dave. should be easy to get the book. That's what I hear. Um, yeah, that's good. Yeah, thanks. We'll put all that yeah. in the show notes. Okay, cool. Yeah, yeah. Perfect. Thanks, thanks for, for inviting me, guys. Yeah. Right nice on. talking all right. to you all. Thank you. And uh, yeah, enjoy your dinner. Okay, I will. Okay. See you later. See you later. Bye, Bye now. Bye. And that was our chat with uh, Professor David McDonald. McDonald. <laughs> Professor David McDonald. What do you think, buddy? I think it's good. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. it was a good one. Like uh, Would have been nice if it was a yeah. little longer, but he ran out of. Ran out of battery, so I don't know if this was a bonus. Or I think we, we covered everything anyways, pretty much, from the book anyways. So. Yeah, I think so, yeah. too. Yeah. yeah, so big thanks to you guys for being Plus supporters, for sticking with us. Uh, this is what we do for you guys. We podcast through COVID so that you guys don't miss any content. If anything, you get extra content. And we have an extra Indian. You're welcome. For now, anyway. Yeah. I didn't know what to say when I was talking about the indigenous natives. I, I was like, I don't know what word to use. Engine. And I thought, <clears throat> did you did you catch my hesitation there? Yeah, I thought yeah, I, I thought like, you were... uh, indigenous. Uh, I, I don't know. I just thought you were getting ready to cough again. So yeah, no, I just you know, I mean, I, I don't coughing. know if I, Darren can say Indian. I don't know if I can. You can't, especially with a especially with a professor of political science. I didn't want to offend him or anything. Or yourself. You want to make an ass yourself, Dunlap? All right, guys, we love you guys. Thanks for listening. And we will see you next week. Hopefully, Grandma will be COVID-free. And hopefully you. I'll probably just be getting it by then. Get comfortable, free thing.
The revolution has still got a pulse We need to revive it and make it a reality I've hacked into a politician's password To transfer money to several overseas accounts And as we speak, a supercomputer project is in the works And if it works, we'll use it to point and click our way to some sort of truth Either you're in a route, are you game? Or is the game over? This must be a glitch in the matrix This must be a glitch in the matrix A revolutionary dream It's over since the machines Go! Watch out for them laser beams Climb to the top of the pyramid Deeper and deeper. Meanwhile, the deck gets deeper and deeper. Don't get comfortable, three diggers. Cause it's gonna take more than hand and eye coordination on your PlayStation. It's gonna take mind elevation. There must be a glitch in the matrix. There must be a glitch in the matrix. A revolutionary dream. It's no versus the machine. Against the machine Don't get comfortable Free thinkers Rage against 